Welcome to Scripps Talks. Today we have Kate Hiller joining us from Leipzig, Germany. Kate is a not too distant alum from the School of Journalism, actually received two degrees from the School of Journalism and another degree from Leipzig University. We'll be talking some about that, but first let's just uh, say hello to Kate and find out how you're doing, Kate. Hey, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. All things considered, I'm doing pretty great. We're comparing all the time experiences with COVID-19 here in the U.S. and in other places, whether it's China or Brazil or Italy or Germany. And since you're in Germany, I'm sure a lot of your friends back in the States are asking you, what, what's it like there? And so what's it like there? Germany has been handling the COVID situation fairly well, I would say. Of course, there are lots of rules and regulations, as is stereotypically true with Germany. We are now starting to loosen some of these regulations while simultaneously tightening others. For a while, you were only allowed to be out and about with members of your own household. So whether that is your roommates who you live with or your family who you live with, but it was only the people who you physically lived in the same apartment with or house. Now you're allowed to see people from other households or another household. We are required to wear face masks in the supermarkets, in the public transportation, so the tram, the train. We are also supposed to be maintaining, of course, your social distancing, which here they say one and a half to two meters abstand. So one and a half to two meters between people, so roughly six feet, same as in the U.S. Now, of course, there are people who are not following that. There are lots of people who are following that, but all in all, Germany has been very proactive in terms of testing people and trying to figure out how is this spreading, where is this coming from. Above all, I've found at least my perception of our local government in Leipzig um, has been very transparent about everything. So for a while, they were doing almost daily video updates. So basically, our equivalent of the mayor would record say two minutes saying okay here are the numbers for today here's what's going on but for a while we didn't have any cases in Leipzig and so far I think we've only had seven deaths maybe up to 10 by now and I think four or five of those were actually patients who were flown here from Italy to be cared for in our clinics. The impression that we're getting is that a lot of the German cultural traditions are helping protect Germany. And by, by cultural traditions, I really mean social interactions. I know when I have visited Leipzig in the past, it's very obvious people are reluctant to shake hands if they have a cold. They're much more aware of those kinds of health issues than it seems that we are in the, in the U.S. And I wonder if there's much conversation about the role of that German culture among my friends and colleagues, there is some conversation because I, the majority of my friends here are German, but I do have a couple close friends who are also Americans living here in Leipzig. We've kind of had these conversations, and in the mass media, there's a little bit of comparison, but for the most part, it seems to not be so focused on that as a topic, at least from what I've been reading. There is definitely a cultural element, as you said, what you've noticed when you've traveled here. People are not going to openly go meet up with strangers right now. Also in terms of the health system here, um, Germany has a very strong health system. We as people living here in Germany, Germans, Americans, whoever, are paying lots of money for our health insurance, but we know we will be taken care of. 
I don't know if it's necessarily incentive because of how seriously the the government on a national level, on a local level, and all of our health workers and everyone, because of how seriously this is being taken by people in the upper levels of power and influence, I think that has definitely trickled down. And of course, you know, you can see I'm sitting in my apartment right now next to a window. I can see people walking down the street and I was in the park earlier today just taking a walk and it sort of looks like nothing is different. It looks like the beginning of a nice warm German summer. But at the same time, if you look closely, you can really notice people adhering to the rules and following safe social distancing procedures. And then of course, to go in different stores Smaller stores have been open for a couple weeks now, I think, less than 800 square meters in size, and they require only so many people can enter. You have to sanitize your cart, you have to sanitize your hands before you come in, you have to wear your mask. Because of that, I feel like we're not seeing quite, or at least here in Leipzig, in my bubble, in my perception, perspective, um, in my circles, we're not seeing as much impact, but we are seeing a lot more people I guess, following the rules. I don't know if that's exactly what you meant by that, but that's sort of the perception I see is it's more normal to actually follow the rules and then also coming from the fact that the chancellor has a science background and how she is. And there have been several articles out, even in some US media as well, talking about Angela Merkel's response um, to the crisis as well. Now, of course, she is an alum of Leipzig University during the GDR times. And I, I wonder... To what degree you sense that people in Leipzig are proud of her background because she was, you know, a scientist, but she got her, you know, science chops there, there in uh, in the local university. To be honest, I haven't really noticed that being such a point of conversation here. Of course, at the university, it's mentioned to international students. We learn about this, but it's not. I feel like distinguished alumni of universities here don't seem to be held up the way some are in the U.S. Well, there, it's definitely a different market for branding. When you have a 600-year-old university, they probably don't need to worry as much about marketing as a younger American university might. I want to also ask about whether there's any protests of any kind going on in Germany that you've ever noticed or heard about pushing back on some of the government measures to enforce social distancing regulations, wearing masks in stores, that kind of uh, regulation. Has there, has there been any pushback that you've noticed? Yeah, there have been, I think, a couple in Leipzig, um, but I honestly haven't heard of nearly as many as I've been hearing about from friends and family in the U.S., in terms of what the protests entail, I think there was one in Leipzig maybe a couple weeks ago, and it was just kind of a standard protest. People in the square, in the market uh, market square, marketplatz, saying how they felt. But for the majority, at least from what I'm seeing, it hasn't been as noticeable or as played up in the mass media here. Well, let's talk about your life and your work situation and how all of that has been affected by COVID-19. Tell us a little bit about your job and what you did before COVID-19 and then some of the adaptations you've had to make. I am an international marketing manager with Lecturio. It is an e-learning company and I work on our dot-com side. And so that specializes in training medical students, actually. 
the month of March and most of April was a complete blur for me. In my job, I work with our social media channels, I work with our ambassador programs, I'm in the process of taking over a big part of our search engine optimization, our current SEO projects, and I kind of do a little bit, not a little bit of everything, but enough of a bunch of things that I don't know if I have one solid job description. In my contract, there's one solid job description, but it's also very vague and allows me to do a lot of different activities. So I've been with Lecturio now for over a year. When everything started getting more intense with COVID, as we're starting to hear more news, as it's starting to spread at the beginning of the year, we knew fairly early on, I want to say probably in February, that we would have to be transitioning to home office at some point. So I, I guess that's called working working from home in English, but everyone here just calls it home office. So that's part of my vernacular now. We knew fairly early on that we would need to transition to home office, and Lecturio actually moved us into home office, I want to say about a week, week and a half, before it was required by the city of Leipzig. So we did this more proactively, working on a marketing team, working primarily with digital marketing, especially as lots of different conferences and events are canceled, which is another thing that I work with. My job itself did not change all that much, but what I can say is that doing it all from home when we're not all sitting there in the same office together. It's collaborating can be challenging, but at the same time, I feel like we've really been able to kind of improve some of our workflows, actually. We've really been able to meld as a team when we need to kind of push for that a little bit extra. So my team before was also fantastic, and it's the same people just, you know, on a computer screen now, but it's been a bit of a transition. I've been in home office for more than two months now, and it feels fairly normal, but I will say I'm not a big fan of the fact that my living room and my office are one because there's not a lot of separation between work and life balance, even though that is something that I usually value here so much because there is, just generally speaking, in German work culture a lot more work-life balance. Some of the things that we are doing differently now include having daily check-ins, when we were in the office, of course, our team is there. We can always check in with each other when we need to. However, now we have two team calls a day. So there's between 7 and 11 people on the call, depending on what time of day, which people are working, etc. And we do it MIT style, so it's most important task. And so we all go around and we say, okay, this is the most important thing I'm doing this morning. Here's what I accomplished yesterday or this is the most important thing I'm doing this afternoon. Here's what I accomplished this morning. And then we kind of see how we can help and support each other and collaborate in that way. That's something that I've really enjoyed and that I would also like to bring back, maybe not twice a day, but I'd like to bring that idea back to some of our regular team meetings when we someday return to the office. So it sounds like you're working in a company, in a sector, you know, in a, in a market that would potentially benefit from more people working from home or studying from home. And obviously working with medical students, that uh, seems like that's in the, in the zone, so to speak, of COVID-19. It's been kind of surreal, to be honest, because I see some of my friends who are either losing their jobs or have to work Kurzarbeit, which is like you're working, say, 60% of the time and receiving 60% of your salary and the percentage changes, but it's a thing in Germany. I'm seeing people in my family who 
can't work right now and people who are teaching who can't teach as usual and there are just so many different changes and especially working with a company that works with higher education institutions medical schools specifically around the world but also primarily in the U.S. is kind of our target market and that's what a lot of our product is targeted to with the USMLE exams and all the licensing exams in the states. It's very interesting to see how this necessary shift not justifies, but it kind of reinforces the fact that we as a company and what we've been doing, we've already been heading in the right direction. I would never say that this is a great thing that could happen to us because it's not. Global pandemic is something I would never wish upon anyone ever, but it's been really great to see how we are adapting not only our content, we've been producing a lot of content, medical content uh, related to COVID-19 treatments and epidemiology and just so, so much information in video, written, interactive case form. It's just been really surreal to see how this company that was already kind of future thinking in terms of medical training is the future is here and it's digital and I'm a part of it. And that's really interesting to see. Let's talk about that part, the the part about the Kate Hiller being part of it. You started out at Ohio University in the journalism school with a certain goal, which as I recall was to be a foreign correspondent or something along those lines. And you got the foreign part down pat. You know, you, you did a lot of international work, but your career goals kind of pivoted. So maybe tell our audience members a little bit about how that transition happened for you. And then I'm going to follow up with a question, which you can start right in on if you want to as well. And that is how all the things that you learned, uh, let's start with the undergraduate part of your education, how, how all of those things work toward or, or help you with your current position since it wasn't exactly what you set out to do at the beginning. When I started at OU, I wanted to be a foreign correspondent and I definitely have the foreign part down. Over time at OU, I during my bachelor's, I did so many different extracurriculars. I wrote for the Post. I tried to found a news organization which was a great experience, but probably for the best that it did not continue more than a semester. I wrote for the Interactivist magazine. I took pictures of sporting events for WOUB. I don't even know if I can list everything that I did extracurricular-wise anymore because I just jumped from thing to thing trying to find that niche that really would be what I wanted. And it turned out what I thought I wanted was not exactly what I wanted. And that's totally great and totally okay. So, you know, if anyone is listening to this and you're in your bachelor's or even master's and you're thinking, hey, I don't know if this is exactly what I want. Just try different things because you never know when you're going to find that thing that really kind of makes you tick. So like you said, Bob, I've been doing a lot of international work from throughout my time I studied abroad. I actually have a bachelor's degree in Spanish as well that I'm not putting to good use right now. You know, if you drop me off in a Spanish-speaking country somewhere, I would survive, but I would not be thriving for a while. You know, starting with that, working with the Institute for International Journalism, and then ending up working as part of a State Department grant to bring entrepreneurship workshops in various sub-Saharan African countries. That was kind of my main, I guess, main activity. So this is junior, senior year. 
while I'm doing all of this, I had no idea that I would want to go into marketing. And I think if I had, when I started at Scripps, we had just started on semester. So you had your news and information track and your strategic communication track. And in my head, I was so focused on starting as a news and info major and graduating as a news and info major that I just picked up miscellaneous skills along the way, but never bothered to take any stratcom classes. And I really, I do wish I had. I think it might have opened some other doors or given me some different insight that would help me now. But had I done that, I would likely not be sitting here in Leipzig. So one of the big changes for me actually came when I did a radio internship here in Leipzig. This is my first and last experience on the radio, or I guess not last because we're doing a podcast and that's fairly similar. I came here to Leipzig for three weeks um, with a group because OU and Uni Leipzig have had this partnership for more than 25 years. And I came here and the radio part you know, was fine and it was interesting, but within two days of being in Leipzig, I knew that I needed to move here. I knew that I needed to live here. This was the place that I needed to go. And so from that moment on, so this is the summer of 2015, and then I graduated that December, say six months or so before I graduated, I decided, okay, I need to move to this city in Germany. How the heck am I going to do that? And so for the next then, it would have been about two years, almost two years on the nose, I focused all of my energies in doing things that would help me move over here because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do career-wise, but I knew where I wanted to try to do it. And for me, that has paid off tenfold already, at least knowing something and then moving into a position. So um, skipping over grad school for a second, I came here, ended up applying for a job um, with a company called Lecturio. Uh, No surprise, got the job. And I've spent the last year and a quarter-ish really starting to learn learn different skills and how I can put the skills that I already have from journalism into practice in my marketing job. So a lot of things are similar. I do a lot of copy editing. I'm one of two native English speakers in the office here in Leipzig, so I do a lot of copy editing. Just seeing how, how similar the skill sets can be but then there are also things with some of you know the numbers and like the cpm the roi ctr all of this i'm learning what all of these acronyms mean whereas you know someone who might have taken a different track of studies might have you know already known these going in let's go back and pick up the story with the master's degree because and and the relationship between ou and Leipzig University, because these things are all very intertwined. Leipzig University and Ohio University started engaging back in late 92. And, you know, just for transparency's sake, I can mention that I was part of that process. That relationship evolved over time and matured and developed into what ultimately has become a very deep and rich double master's program between the School of Journalism at Ohio University and the Communication Institute at Leipzig. That program magically appeared right at about the time you were thinking about figuring out some way to get back to Leipzig. So talk a little bit about what those two master's degrees together did for you as you were on your journey to get back to Leipzig? So the first time I heard about the double masters before it actually existed, I was 
sitting in a bar here in Leipzig with some professors, some from OU, some from Leipzig. One of the OU folks thought it was just absolutely hilarious or crazy or something that I had said from day two, okay, I want to live here. Told one of the German professors who then said, oh, well, you should do our master's program. I said, wait, we, we have a master's program? He said, well, not yet, but we're going to. By the time you're ready, we'll have one. And I think, think you know, discussions and everything were fairly far along and I don't know if agreements had been signed or you know what because of course I'm sitting in a bar with these people they're not gonna tell me all the secrets yet I had already sort of decided after working with the State Department grant for the Young African Leaders Initiative I had already sort of decided that I wanted to pursue a master's because I knew I wasn't ready to start a career in journalism I knew I kind of didn't want to do that at least not in the sense that I had entered university thinking I would do I said, you know what, of course, I'm, I'm definitely going to apply for this program. I applied for different grad schools and ended up choosing OU again, maybe for obvious reasons, but some were not as obvious at the time. The double master's program with Ohio University and Universität Leipzig is probably one of the coolest things that I've seen or that I've experienced come out of the script school. And frankly, I've seen and experienced quite a lot. And so this is, this is something that really has made probably the, one of the biggest impacts on my life. So the way the program is structured is you start your master's at OU, and then you can apply to be part of the Leipzig group. There are five people accepted every year from Ohio and five people from Leipzig. So you do your first full year, so two semesters at your home university, so whether that's Ohio or Leipzig. And then in your third semester, you switch places. And so you do a semester abroad, and then you go back and finish your thesis at your respective university. Now, my thing is, I never switched back. So I came over to Leipzig, and I knew in advance that I wanted to stay, and I had worked out a lot of the administrative challenges in advance, which if anyone is thinking of doing this program and doing that, you must do things in advance, talk to the people in advance because it does not work if you don't do that in advance just disclaimer here um, but I was the first one who did this and so I came over and my cohort was here for a semester I had the normal semester exchange and then everyone left the Leipzig folks came back and I just stayed the two degrees themselves um, so at the conclusion of the program I received a master's of science in journalism and a master's of arts in global mass communication journalism from OU global mass comm from Leipzig and they're both technically separate degrees. I mean, they're done in conjunction with each other. The credits transfer over. I did one degree's worth of work, so to speak, and then received two degrees out of it. So in the same amount of time, at least, it was definitely a lot of work. Having this German master's degree, that is what really opened the door for me to actually stay here long term. Because having the master's degree from the German university actually puts me on kind of a fast track for permanent residency, for visa things and gives me more of an in to actually start living my life here in Germany, which was the plan all along. So where does that take you, do you think, in the next 5, 10, 15, oh, let's say 20 years? Can you envision essentially being a Leipziger henceforth? 100%. That's the goal. That's the plan. I'm eligible next year to apply for permanent residency, so I will do that. Hopefully everything works out there. I would love to stay in Leipzig as long as possible. As someone who has spent a lot of, at least the recent years of my life, going from place to place and always on the move, it's a little 
weird, at least identity-wise, to say, okay, you know, Leipzig is my place, I want to be here, I want to settle here, or at least call it home base. The feeling that I have living here and being in this city, it kind of transcends anything else. And I mean, you know, eventually, someday, maybe I would move to another city for a job or something else, but I don't see myself leaving Germany anytime soon, and I definitely don't see myself living in the U.S. ever again. I've had the great opportunity to be in Leipzig, and I know exactly what you're talking about, but a lot of our listeners are probably scratching their head and, and saying, you know, maybe, maybe they've never even heard of Leipzig. What is the bee's knees about Leipzig, Germany for Kate Hiller? What are the top three or four things about Leipzig that make it such a compelling place to settle? First, so I lived in Athens for five years, so for the bachelor's and then year for the master's. And the sense of community in the small town feel, I didn't necessarily like living in such a small place. I grew up in Columbus and I'm very used to lots and lots of people, big city, but Leipzig offers both. So Leipzig has a population of about 600,000 people, but it doesn't feel like there are 600,000 people here. And so it's a really great mixture of city, you have all your conveniences, most of the stores you need, you have restaurants, you have movie theaters. I live across the street from a movie theater. All of the conveniences of a big city, but then you also have your different neighborhoods, and each neighborhood has its own feel and its own vibe. It's just a really interesting mixture, because it kind of combines Columbus, where I spent a lot of my life and growing up and everything, and Athens, a place that where I really did most of my growing up growing up, I guess. <laughs> Reason number one, it's a great mix of a city and a smaller town. There's a lot of green space here. Um, so something that I don't like about big cities and why I could never really see myself living in like Manhattan or something like so many of my classmates do, which props to all of you. But there's just so much green space. We have parks, we have lakes. I live around the corner from a canal. I can walk and sit on the canal 30 seconds door to, I guess not door to door, but door to canal. There's so many opportunities to be outside here and just to enjoy the outside. And there's there's a German thing called Spaziergang. And basically it's like to take a walk but it just, there's not really an exact translation in English. So like, yes, you can say Spaziergen is to take a walk, but it really, it's just, you take a walk, you enjoy your time. And just, it's, it's a thing that Germans will do. Like if, for example, if you go on a date here, I've been on a couple dates where we say, okay, we'll meet here and we'll just go spazieren. And just, that just means like walk around and to talk and to enjoy your time. So there's a lot of opportunity for that sort of thing. The third thing that really draws me to Leipzig and why I would really definitely want to stay is the people. There are so many people here from so many different places. Um, and you hear the U.S. is a melting pot. Berlin is basically not Germany. Berlin is just so many different people. And you speak more English in Berlin than German. But Leipzig is also kind of like that in a way. There are people from so many different backgrounds, from different cultures. You can try food from so many different countries. And you can just... Yeah, and just people here tend to also be very nice and a little bit more laid back than Hustle Bustle City, but it's with the university being here, so this is a university city. There are a couple universities here, but with Uni Leipzig, the main one, there are just so many brilliant people from all over the world, and there are so many different events with speakers, and 
it's really nice. It's sort of like a hidden gem in Germany. And now that I'm saying this, you know, everyone's going to come visit. Please come visit when all the COVID things are over. Experience this beautiful place for yourself. Yeah, it's, I guess if I had to pick three, three things, those are kind of my top reasons. And then it's just, it's a great place to live and it's affordable, which is even better. As I'm winding down my official career, you know, I, I reflect back on some of the highlights and being at the beginning of the Leipzig program, it's definitely very high on the list of things that I think back on very fondly. But it's particularly wonderful when uh, one of our students, or I would say one of my students, has also kind of gotten that Leipzig bug and is all in on Leipzig. So even if I can't live there, I, I can sort of live vicariously <laughs> through Kate Hiller. And I'm not shocked that you would find Leipzig to be so compelling, but, uh, and I'm also, I'm not surprised that you figured out a way to make it work. Uh, that's one of the things about uh, Kate Hiller, who I should say, when you graduated from OU, from the School of Journalism, you were the top graduating senior, and that's the kind of person you are. So kudos for that. I, w- I want to talk about your language skills because, you know, you were a double major with Spanish. And then once you got the Leipzig bug, you made a pivot in your goal of learning a language, a foreign language. Talk about how much of your world is revolves around the use of German the German language, because, you know, you are copy editing in English and so forth. But I think you probably use German quite a lot in your daily work. Yeah, so I started learning German shortly before I moved here. I took a course at OU, just audited um, a German course to get some of the basics. And since I moved here about three years ago, almost three years ago, I have been taking a few intensive courses. I've done online courses. My colleagues constantly correct me and teach me fun phrases. I learned a lot of German actually going on random Tinder dates, which was one of the weirdest ways I can imagine that I would say, oh, I've learned a lot of German, but I actually have a list that I keep kind of taped up on my wall next to my current workspace with all these different phrases and I can point to ones I'm like, oh, that was a funny Tinder date phrase that I did not understand, but now I do. (laughs) Honestly, I could live 95% of my life in German and maybe I wouldn't 100% understand everything or I would say something very weird. It would just take a very roundabout way to... Okay, perfect example. I'm looking for the English word for Ausdrucken, express myself. I have friendships like friends that I've made and we only know each other in German. We don't know each other in English. But then I also have friendships that we know each other in English and we've kind of stuck with English just because of how, I guess, the friendships evolved. And I have friendships where it's so Denglish, like Deutsch-English, that half the time we don't know what language we're speaking because it's just such a mix. For example, in the office, I work on an all-German team and we speak mostly German Sometimes I'll just speak in English if we are crunched for time or something. It's faster when I can say exactly what I mean instead of trying to formulate it. But for the vast majority, we we talk to each other in German about our English product unless we're specifically talking about something like editing something in English or talking through different things. But over time, 
most of my friends have adopted speaking German with me or have acclimated to speaking German with me. My housing contract is completely in German. I live in my own flat, in my own apartment. You know, I've read that, signed that in German. Everything related to the visa is always in German. Going to the doctor is in German and English because when I got here, I didn't speak enough German to be to feel comfortable going to the doctor in a foreign language, but now I can do that in a mix of German and English, which is nice because it's also nice to have that fallback in case I just am having a bad, bad German day or something. The quality of my experience in Leipzig and the extent to which I would be so um, happy and satisfied here, I think would be much lower if I didn't speak German. It's something that now that I'm at the point where I am, I, I wouldn't say fluent, but I can speak fairly fluently. It bugs me when people move places and don't try to learn the language. And it bugs me to my core. And when people come here and they say, oh, well, I don't need to know German. And maybe in some cases you don't. I mean, honestly, if you're in Berlin, I speak more English in Berlin because a lot of people I end up running into there don't speak German. The quality of my life and my, I guess, my integration with Leipzig and with the German culture here is just so much stronger and much deeper because I've learned this language. Coming from Spanish, I love Spanish. I love the language. I really, at some point, I do want to pick it back up and start refreshing that. And my experiences traveling in Spain uh, when I first moved here and also when I studied abroad in Ecuador and when I've been to Peru. It's wonderful to be able to converse. I feel very comfortable in Germany and German culture and German language. Ask a native German speaker, maybe they'll tell you that my language is not so great, but so far most people seem to understand me. <laughs> One of the amazing things about learning a foreign language and, of course, living in that culture where that language is the language it can't help but change or affect your worldview in very big ways, but also probably some really subtle ways. And and I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned that you don't ever want to live in the in the U.S. again, and I'm and you've been to many other places besides Germany, so you know what the world uh, has to offer. But I'm wondering if you could share one or two examples of how you think living abroad and speaking German in your everyday life has affected your worldview. Being here in Germany and having attended university in Germany where so many intercultural dialogues are present and writing my master's thesis on collective memory in so collective German and American memory of the fall of the Berlin Wall and subsequent years after, that specifically really pushed me to see both how the U.S. sees the world and how my experience growing up in the U.S. and my teachers in the U.S. and everyone taught me to experience the world and then how Germany sees the U.S. And there is, there's definitely some disconnect, but there's a lot of similarities. And I think in a way, being able to have such discussions has really, really shown me what maybe I was missing in terms of what I knew or how I perceived, you know, American influence, for example. I was talking with a friend actually a few weeks ago, and she said something along the lines of, yeah, you know, Americans think that they have all this influence here, but they didn't. And I was like, okay, that's very interesting to say, because the way I learned about Cold War history is that we had quite a lot of influence. 
and it exists, but it exists in different ways and in different places. And of course, I'm talking to a person whose family is from the Leipzig area, so this is former GDR, where there would not have been so much American influence anyway. And just, you know, she's grown up here, she's spent her whole life here and never wants to leave, which, total respect for that as well. But it's just very interesting to see how people perceive how Americans perceive themselves. And I had the great fortune of doing an independent study project with Professor Christer Garrett of American Studies at University of Leipzig. He's unfortunately passed away just over a year ago. Talking with him as an American fully embraces his California roots, who's lived in Germany for years and years and called Leipzig his home. He is, he was, he is the perfect example of what a transatlantic perspective can be. And so having the chance to learn from him and to work with him um, also broadened my view because it, he was someone else who came here and loved it so much and he stayed and he had a family here and just a huge life and he's you know well known in the community and just I remember when he passed and the the memorial or one of several memorials um, there were just so many people from all over the world who came and it's the kind of thing that only a certain kind of internationalist can pull out of everyone that everyone would want to come back to Leipzig to pay such respects I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this for someone who didn't know Christer. Just him as a person and like seeing how he brought German and American students and culture and ideas together, like that was a really incredible thing. So on a slightly more upbeat note, there are certain words and phrases in German, for example, that don't exist in English. And there are certain English phrases that don't exist in German either. Being able to speak both languages and interacting with so many people in a mix of both languages um, has really allowed me to also kind of explore not another identity, but it has allowed me to really have another perspective. As my German skills have increased and, and as I can better express myself, so like I tried to say earlier, Ausdrucken, which is like to express yourself, as I'm better able to do that, friends who know me in both languages have also pointed out that I have a slightly different personality, not personality, but there's German Kate and there's an American Kate, and we're the same Kate, but it's just a different perspective. And so I think when you learn a language and when you can live your life in a language that's not your mother tongue, that's not your first language, it's very interesting to see how that impacts part of your identity. And there are certain people who I will only speak German with because this is our friendship, our relationship is built in this way and I don't express myself the same way in German that I do in English. Partially because I know a lot more words in English than in German, but partially because it's just a different, I guess, facet of my identity. And so learning language has allowed me to do that. And then I think the third thing is also when traveling. So like you said, I have traveled to a lot of places. Um, I think at last count I was at 32 different countries um, in my life which is insane and unbelievable, and there's just so many more to see. I can't believe I haven't seen them all yet. But when traveling, just the ability to further try to connect with different people is also different. So, I mean, English is a fairly universal language, at least in a lot of the places that I've been. Not in all of them, but in a lot of them. 
native english speakers maybe don't fully get how hard it is for some other some people who don't speak english or don't speak english well or who aren't comfortable speaking english to converse in english especially with fast talking americans but with anyone really i've been to a couple places where english doesn't really get me very far but if i can speak german i can communicate with people and there are some doors open or there are some ideas or people are you know, sharing, oh, you know, my favorite cafe around the corner is actually this one. You should check that out. Tell, you know, my friend so-and-so that I sent you. And just little things that I think are enhanced in my life in German. And also because I have this whole other vocabulary that I can use with so many of the people I interact with. When one word doesn't work in one language, I can use the other one. And that's just really cool. Let's try one more, uh, which may have a, a long answer as well. When I first went to Leipzig and late 92 the wall hadn't been down too long at that point and the city i think still looked a lot like it did during the gdr times or as as other people might say behind the iron curtain and as i would go back from year to year you could see the city changing pretty dramatically as a lot of investments were made in leipzig what i realized was this is a, a great city to bring students to because you really see the world changing. But you also, I think, see some of the, the GDR history preserved. To me, it makes for a fascinating place to see history. You know, you can sort of see how some of those buildings that would have been torn down in West Germany from bombing damage, they were just sort of patched up by the East Germans because they didn't really have enough money to build new buildings. And then when the wall came down and all the money flooded in, those buildings were able to be restored to their original glory and, and wonder, which a lot of those kind of buildings in the West would not have survived. To me, Leipzig has this amazing combination of Western influences, but also East, and it really is in the middle of Europe. And I wonder how much of that factors in, do you think, to your uh, appreciation for Leipzig? I think it definitely factors in a lot, just not only the topic of my master's thesis, but just being a little bit of a history nerd. Um, I just, I love being able to walk down the street and know that, oh, you know, this building, this was around when this happened, and this was around when this happened. It's very interesting to see what, I guess, remnants of the GDR that you can see on the street, so to speak. Um, so for example, the first the first apartment I lived in here was probably one of the most disgusting places I've ever lived in. It's an old Soviet like cut and paste building. So all the apartments are shaped exactly the same. It looks like everything's just kind of cut and paste, really ugly cement, everything. Just one of those super typical Eastern European buildings. It was built in the 70s and I'm pretty sure it hadn't been cleaned since the 70s when I moved in. Yeah, I mean, that's it's not necessarily standard because Leipzig does have a lot of Altbau, um, so like older, beautiful, beautiful buildings, especially for housing options. And where I live now is a bit more modernized, but it's still an older building. From I'm not sure when this building was built, but I know they redid it a while back, but it's still older. But it's, it's just interesting to see in the different places where you can live. And then the newer architecture, which is vastly different you just see this juxtaposition and maybe if you're not thinking about it when you walk down the street you might not notice but 
it's just so interesting to see so many different influences just of time and of culture and the very interesting history of the city of Leipzig itself um, and where it has stood at different points of German history. And yeah, so that's that's fascinating. So for example, another example is that the Gewandhaus, um, which is the orchestra hall, was actually built during the GDR times. And it's one of the, I guess, iconic buildings of the Augustusplatz, um, so one of the main squares. But then Kitty Corner is the Uni Leipzig's like, administrative building. They have another faculty in there, I guess. And that facade is like blue stained glass, <laughs> is what it looks like. And inside that is the restored Paulinum, which was a church that was bombed and completely destroyed by the Soviets, I think in 68 or so. And that just reopened since I've lived here. So the, the new church inside this building with the blue stained glass. So you just, you see this super modern look combined with restoration, combined with older things. And it's, it's very interesting to see even in just the architecture, some of, some of those influences. But then you can also see different influences of people and different cultures. So for example, during the Cold War time, when Germany was divided, in the West, during the rebuilding process, a lot of Turkish and Italian immigrants came in to help with rebuilding the Western part of Germany. And a lot of Vietnamese immigrants came in to the East. And so you can see that also in the influx of cuisine. We have so many, so many really good Vietnamese restaurants here that are family-owned. And I have friends who their families immigrated here during the GDR. And, you know, this is the cultural melting pot. The same in the West. I just, I speak a little more to the East because that's just what I know and where I live. It's interesting to see also that, you know, cultural influence coming in as well. Well, I am very delighted to catch up with you and get the latest installment on the Kate Hiller story. It's one of the really fun stories for me to reflect on, and I'm glad that things are working out so well for you. And when things get back to somewhat normal, we plan to come over for a visit to Leipzig to see some friends. And of course, former students are counted as friends, so we look forward to getting together with you, Kate and many of your fellow alums from OU and Leipzig. Well, I'm very excited to welcome you back to Leipzig when you get here, and I will meet you at Rike. Very good. Thank you, Kate Hiller, for joining us, and stay safe. Uh, keep being Kate Hiller. That's awesome. Thank you. Keep being Bob Stewart, and I will see you around. <laughs>